Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Heartland Revival, where we talk to everyday men and women who are working to revive their communities and industries. Thank you for taking the time out of your day. I hope you enjoy this episode. A few housekeeping items before we begin this episode. I know I've been away from this podcast for a few months. I had a busy summer, both at home and at the work. So I think when you're a podcaster and you do that, you just call it season two. I'm not really sure, but that's what we're going to do here. Uh, This week I sat down with Wade from Pennsylvania. Wade is a Sawyer who started his own lumber milling business back in 2021. Um, When you sit down with someone like that, you never know what you're going to get. And this one was just beyond my wildest expectations. Uh, Well-spoken, good head on his shoulders, really motivational. I think you guys are going to like this one. So, Wade... Tell me where you're joining us from tonight. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm coming to you from Abbottstown, Pennsylvania, on the western edge of York County. Awesome. And I found you, like many guys, on Twitter. And <laughs> if people want to find you there, your handle is at Wading Smith. At Wading Smith, yes. Yeah. I, have, I have a unique first name that can be a noun or a verb. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've been following you for a while and, and you stuck out to me because, well, one, I have a little bit of forestry background, but you're doing something unique, right? One, you started your own business and I give accolades to anyone that starts their own business. And and two, it's a, a rather unique business and that's the sawmill industry, I guess, or, or I guess, how, how do you, when you meet someone on the street, what do you tell them you do? Uh, well, it's, it's advertised as a portable sawmill business. That's, that's what we go after first and foremost. Um, we operated off of our three acre homestead. So we do some milling here. You know, we have a log yard, uh, we take lumber orders, you know, mill custom, uh, hardwood, softwoods. Um, but we're a little tight on space and it's, um, could very quickly become a lumber yard, <laughs> yeah. uh, which we're not really set up for. So, um, we we're just wrapping up our second year of operating. And so the picture is becoming a little clearer for maybe what 2024 uh, should hold for the business. And, and one of the things that we're, we're prioritizing is a website and that website we want to design to, to go after and, and be the primary portable sawmill service in the area. And, and by the area, I mean, 60, 75 miles radius. Um, so yeah, that's, that's basically, you know, how we, how we describe it. Awesome. So if anyone's not familiar, I had to look up Wade's location, but it looks like you're, you know, generally speaking, right. You're Southeastern Pennsylvania, 
um, kind of a triangle between Philly and Baltimore. Is that somewhat accurate? Yeah, no, that's that's very accurate. It's it's referred to around here as South Central Pennsylvania. Um, okay, we're, we're about fifteen or twenty minutes from the Mason Dixon line, so we can be in Baltimore and. In 45 or 50 minutes, we can be in Philly in just under two hours. But um, yeah, we're I, I'm I'm ninth generation uh, on Pennsylvania soil. So wow. and, uh, yeah, my wife and I, we have two uh, two adult sons. Well, they're trying to be adults at 19 and 21. But uh, so they're 10th generation uh, Pennsylvanians and um a lot of us have been in York and the neighboring county for that long. So it's, it's, you know, it's kind of a, a source of pride, you know, for us to be able to be here and, and still uh, uh, be finding ways to be entrepreneurial and, and make a living self-employed, which is, you know, there are certainly pros and cons and never ending challenges with that. But uh, yeah, so Abbottstown is, is, uh, no strange place to the Smith lineage. <laughs> yeah, you, that's that's something to be proud of. That's uh, impressive. I I don't know, in fact, if I know anyone that's been in one place for that long. So you should be proud of that for sure. Yeah, and, and I, have to, I have to thank my well. My dad is is a fifth child of ten, um, and his youngest sister um, Angie did genealogy for the state okay. of Pennsylvania. And so she had uh, many years and, and many um, sources and the knowledge to find this information, but she had stuff that goes all the way back to Warstadt, Germany in the late 1500s. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, that's, uh, yeah. that's, that's a lot more history than we're going to cover. So, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we'll do talk about that offline because I have a lot of interest in that kind of stuff, but that's, that's, that's really cool. Um, Lancaster County, um, uh, do you guys get a lot of Amish influence in your area? Or I, I don't know if you're in Lancaster County. I just noticed you're near there. Do you get a lot of Amish influence? Uh, we do. We we are near there. We're just to the west. Um, mileage wise, I want to say it's maybe 25 to 30 miles to, to Lancaster proper. Um, but uh, in, in our immediate area, there's a lot of uh, Mennonite families that have been here since, again, like early 1800s, late 1700s, um, farming communities, farming families. Um, and the Amish, um, who, who are very active in sawmill businesses in Lancaster yeah. County, Lebanon County, um, they, over the years, have there have been new Amish families settling in parts of southern York County and even into Adams County, um, where, you know, farming real estate has become available and new families need to need to spread their wings and, and get out. So, yeah, there's. The Amish are, are in the area, not quite as as prominent as you would find in Lancaster. Okay, and talk talk about that from a business perspective, right? You you brought up right away when I asked about it. You brought up that they're very active. You compete against them in a way, or, or like, or not really. They, how do you do you use them for help? Uh, I, I, would I, say, I would say in some ways they set the market. 
Okay. <laughs> um, they have they are very active buyers of standing timber. Okay. Um, and they produce a large volume of you know of of lumber. I don't know. There are varying sizes. I I can't really say how many you know tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of board feet they may produce annually but um you will find a lot of their uh marketing and and sales approach in like lancaster farming uh which is a a, a weekly newspaper it's it's a pretty heavy hefty newspaper and it's kind of a great barometer of the local economics mm. um just the classified section alone what people are selling in terms of used farm equipment and, and trucks and trailers and livestock um, auctions, all that sort of stuff. So there's lots and lots of lumber listings in there. Um, you know, green lumber, air dried lumber, kiln dried lumber. So it's, it, you know, when I say they set the price, they, they can kind of, if they're looking for a large volume of black walnut logs, then you can bet that, you know, the prices for those logs are going to be pretty high for everybody else. I see. Um, if they're offloading, you know, 20 or 30,000 board feet of air dried, you know, red oak two by sixes or four by four by eight posts. Um, and they might be letting them go at a dollar a board foot, you know, that that's kind of tough to beat. So what, you know, what I've kind of set up here for us being a smaller volume um, is basically going after, you know, kind of the local immediate, um, community. Uh, there's been, I would say in the last three to four years, there have been, there's been a transient, uh, movement, you know, of folks probably revolving around the 2020, um, you know, shifting <laughs> of, of priorities for everybody, but whether it's remote work or people just wanted to get out of their particular area and get someplace more rural, um, you're seeing a lot of farmettes uh, being a pretty popular tent, you know, eight, 10, 12 acres with a small barn, outbuildings, people are building chicken coops. So I'm kind of catering to folks in the immediate area who, who have a need for that lumber and probably are not going to be having a truck or a trailer or want to run to Lancaster County to save 20 cents a board foot, you know, type of thing. So it's a custom cut relationship. Interesting. So I should, uh, we should do a little compare and contrast here. Uh, where I reside, I was in the forestry industry for a few years. That's what I got my formal education in and uh had a few internships and worked the first couple years out of college and in, in forestry up here it's a way different ball game right it's industrial forest land um big publicly traded companies and some smaller companies as well but we're talking about massive tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of acres of woodlands primary primarily milled at industrial scale sawmills um way different ball game how are they harvesting by you here you know everything is ponzi 
uh, cable skitter, if not, you know, a, a forwarder, how, how do, how does wood get harvested in your neck of the woods? Uh, the logging companies here, you're typically going to see uh, a feller buncher. Um, you know, they're, they're cable skitters, not too much because the terrain is, you know, there, there, there aren't ravines or, you know, anything too treacherous where they've got to pull things up. It's, it's pretty much cut it, drop it, um, you know, delimit bucket and, and stack it for the, you know, for the, the, the grapple truck to come in and, and pick up. Um, and is that, bu- is that bucking and delimiting done by hand? No, 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 no. Okay. No, the, they've, they've got, they basically have a landing, you know, they'll come in with some, with some excavation equipment, set up a landing and then, you know, bring everything up with, with the, uh, skitter. Yeah. Um, you know, the feller buncher does the dropping and the cleanup, the skitter brings it up to the landing and then there they'll, they'll cut to length depending what mill they're taking it to. Um, and then they'll just run. And most of it is triaxle, you know, grapple trucks. Okay. Yep. Um, you, you don't see a lot of of the, you know, the long the full tractor trailers. You know, not at least not in this area because because most of the harvesting is, you know, they're like fifteen to forty acre patches yeah. here. Now, when you get upstate where it's more similar to yours or or what you're describing sounds very much like northern Maine, which I do. Yeah. Have some, I have some familiar some familiarity with um, Aroostook County and, you know, there it's the Irving mills or, or most of the mills up there are now Canadian owned. Um, but it's the same type of thing that they're measuring their harvest in tons. Yeah. How many tons of pulpwood are we going to pull out of here? How many tons of, you know, hardwood and, and then who's buying, you know, what this particular mill, you know, in Masardis processes this type of wood and then this, you know, this mill in Ashland will take this. And so it's, yeah, they, they go in there and most of what you see here is, is almost all, I guess you consider like a shelter, a shelter wood or shelter cut. Um, Maybe just explain that for people that don't know what that is. Um, Well, I'll I'll try and do it justice. I don't have a, a, a strong depth of knowledge on it, but they're basically going in and taking certain size, certain mature trees. Yeah. Um, basically for the forest health, like they're going to thin things out. They're going to leave some of the smaller to medium sized stuff for regeneration. Um, and, and, you know, it's not like in, in a soft, in a softwood, if you, if it's a, a spruce stand or in, you know, where you're going to have maybe a lot of blowdown, and then, you know, if you're not, if you're not doing a harvest, it's going to, it's going to continue to have blowdown and then it's going to regenerate on its own and you're going to have overgrowth and it, it just kind of gets unhealthy where, you know, the, the, the bigger trees are, are blowing over while the smaller ones didn't have really enough adequate light and resources to grow. So it's, it's from a forest management standpoint, I think a shelter wood forest or a shelter wood harvest is, you know, you see a lot of that for this continued healthy regeneration. Yeah. You'll see a lot of, uh, everywhere you go, they'll call it something a little bit different up here. We tend to refer to it as single tree selection, but you know, then people define shelter wood, maybe 
similar i don't know people are they're you know they're dorks about how you how you use the terminology but generally it's uh, just to put that misconception to bed that everyone's cutting every tree um your goals can be somewhat different right whether it's wildlife or like by you there's probably a, a bigger emphasis on high grade saw logs above anything else right so absolutely um you know it, it can be for forest health like you said we're not i don't want to get into that but um but yeah it's good to just let the listeners know that it's a uh healthy thinning rather than just a total clear cut you do see that in some hardwood stands even in the midwest or in your area but by and large that's a that's a landowner's choice at least in our area is that accurate uh yeah in individual jurisdictions you know and and the state may have some say you know depending if you're near like a waterway or okay yeah. um, you know the, the, there may necessary setbacks those sorts of things but i mean pennsylvania if i'm not mistaken is in the top three or four states in the country for hardwood harvest uh manufacturing export i mean it is a huge huge business in pennsylvania um and, and you know it's 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 something that you know the state university and state college has a big part in it um you know there's there's big business there's small business um everybody you know seemingly can can play nice with each other but um you know there are lots and lots of small operators in our area you know small independent you know father son two brothers who do logging you know they, they do a couple harvests a year and they'll they'll work with you know half a dozen mills between lancaster county um up up in the northern section and there's a couple here in york county so there's you know seemingly not a shortage of outlets for you know to your point it is a lot of higher quality veneer logs um, furniture grade hardwood a lot of flooring um you know i know i don't think we export anything to the south i know that states like you know tennessee and maybe even into the carolinas where you know the oak oak barrels for bourbon I mean that those are, those are the largest landowners and the largest harvesters of of white oak yeah. <laughs> in the southern part of the country, and that's that's because they're you know they have a premium product that's in high demand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So tell me about where where your what's the name of your business, by the way, for anyone that's interested in in looking up what you have going on. Yes, it's uh, Malstown Woodworks. M O U L S T O W N. And at this point we, we run a little, you know, Instagram account. Um, but it's, it, it's word of mouth and some business contacts. We don't, we don't have a website up and running as of yet, but that is a, a priority for 2024. So Milestown is the road we live on. It's also an unincorporated village just on the other side of the, the hill from us. Um, so everyone in the area knows, you know, knows where Mousetown is and the Pigeon Hills. And, you know, so we kind of just latched onto that and, and kind of made that the brand. Awesome. Love, yeah. Love the, uh, love the locality 
uh, reference. So I have standing timber, let's say. Maybe, maybe not, let's not go that route. What's your, what's your average everyday client? You get a phone call. Where, where does your business come in and, and what, what, what services do you guys provide? I would say a majority of our customers fall somewhere into the agriculture um, category. Okay. So it could be, um, you know, horse farm, cattle farm, um, somebody's renovating a barn, someone needs new trailer board, uh, someone needs fence board, siding, um, fence post. That, that is probably the largest category of what I would refer to as our retail customer. Okay. And then we work with a wholesaler, um, a friend of mine, Ian Falcone, shout out to Ian. He started uh, his own lumber distribution business called Lynx Lumber uh, in West York, which is, you know, just the, the, the county seat just to the east of us. And so I hooked up with Ian and, and began supplying him with custom cut uh, green roughs on oak for his wholesale customers who are more in the, the trucking and manufacturing side of things. York is an enormous manufacturing center. I mean, big, a lot, a lot of company, international companies that have um, American uh, or, or North American um uh, offices and plants are based in York. And then there's just lots of local York businesses and it's all manufacturing. So from something like BAE systems, which I think is a, is a British owned company, you know, it's a defense, um, company. Um, there will be truck drivers that come in from all over the country to pick up tanks. You know, they refurbish like Abrams tanks and some various other things. I don't even know. But these, these guys on, in the low boy trucks, they need basically like three by 12 by 12 oak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Heavy, heavy stuff. And they need six or eight of them because they're going to build some sort of um, uh, ramp to load these tanks on and stabilize them on the low boy. They'll get five or six runs out of them. They bust them up and yep. they, need, they need more. So dunnage for trucking companies hauling concrete and steel. Um, cribbing, construction yeah. companies, cranes, that sort of stuff. So you're talking about ungraded green rough sawn hardwoods. So when you, when you think about that quality of wood, it's, it's, it's basically a disposable. It's going to get a couple uses. Um, there, there are some drilling, boring companies that from time to time we'll order a 12 by 12 by 12 oak i mean it's basically a tree you know and they need two or three of them to stabilize their boring machine yeah and it's just things that you don't necessarily think of and you're they're not going to call the local 84 lumber or you're not going to run to lowe's or some big box you know store and, and just find that um so you've got to call a local mill and have it custom cut and you need a quick turnaround so that's that's something where I was able to gain some traction and, and be a resource um, to Ian and basically have access to, you know, his customers through him. And it's it's great because he's my he, he's the only contact I have. I deliver to him and it's done. Yeah. Um, 
so it's, that is that is so awesome to it's hear. Real, yeah, it's it's and it's a nice balance to the. I I love the retail customer because it's the end user. You know, I, I get to go to their their property, their farm, their place, help them with their project, get to hear their story. You know, shake some hands, share a cup of coffee, whatever it may be. You know, so I enjoy that part of it, but. You know, I also enjoy taking a taking a trailer load of dunnage you know, yeah. to the wholesaler and know that this is going to go to the construction company Holland Steel and probably four to six weeks from now they're going to need more, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, so it's, awesome to hear. It's funny that you you I hadn't even uh we do that here, right? So we obviously load rebar and uh every skid we we skid up our rebar and that's not necessarily industry standard, but we it makes everyone's life easier handling the material. Yeah. So we run a two by twelve down the center, and then and that's uh, factory, industrial produced, uh, SPF. Two by twelve, and then we put five runners on it, and that's three by four. Mill mill run hardwood. Like from, a, mixed, a mixed hardwood. Yeah, mixed hardwood from yeah. we have a little tiny little outfit just like you up the road. And then we're always keeping a stock of four by four hard maple for dunnage. Yeah. Um, and that's I hadn't even considered. They're like gold. They're like gold. Business. You know, yeah. you, you try and take one of those from a flatbed truck driver and, you know, you might you might you might find yourself on the wrong end of a four by four. <laughs> Yeah, that, well, that's the thing is like I gotta hold on to ours for dear life, and all the truck drivers, you know, sometimes you'll be generous and they don't have them for one reason or another, and I mean you have to give them to them because what else are you gonna do? And yeah, some guys are nice and they try and hold on to hold on, and next time they come back to load, they'll give them back or something. But like many guys, any guy that's ever taken a piece of dunnage, wherever he goes to unload. They always ask if they can keep the dunnage. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's they're hard to hang on to. Yeah. I, I get that. I get that on every every trip. Every trip. So yeah, at some point I may want to I may want to just make that make that part of the uh order. Say, hey, these are yours. You paid for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm interested, uh Let's talk about your retail business a little bit. Like you, you mentioned a lot of barns, a lot of fences. Um, are those your main runners? Do you do what? I mean, what else do you make? And what's what's your steady, your steady runners? And what do you like making? Tell me a little bit about retail. Uh, yeah, I would say retail most common requests are fence posts. You know, four yeah. four by four by eights. Um, I have good access to an inventory of locusts. So locusts is is pretty much, you know, it's better than pressure treated. <laughs> you know, I tell people when you put these fence posts in, they'll be here for at least two or three generations. You know, it's 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 that good. Um, or oak, you know, white oak. Um, but I try and save that for, you know other applications where I might be able to get a little bit better price on it. So I would say fence posts are the most common trailer board. So two by sixes, um, you know, 12 to 16 feet long. I don't do a lot over 12 feet um, just because 
I'm a little limited here on on space in terms of being able to manage that length of log and then that length of lumber. So I try and do everything in the eight to 12, some 14 foot length. So, I, you know, I lose out on some stuff there, but I'm happy to send them down the road and say, hey, you should you should check with Higgins sawmill down in Glen Rock. You know, they're they're a, a high volume uh, commercial mill, but still a like a smaller family run operation. Um, so I target I target the the length in the eight to eight to fourteen foot. And um, chicken coops have been a surprisingly uh, a brisk business. Um, so a lot of the uh, uh, softwood, um, you know, will mill for that. So one buys, two by fours. And everything we do is is you know real dimensions. We're not doing the nominal stuff that you would you would get from a big box store or from you know the larger commercial mills. Where if, if people aren't familiar, you're getting a, a 1.5 inch by three and a quarter, three and a half inch is what they call a two by four. You know, so it's a nominal. Um, but we're doing true dimension and, and custom cut. So. Um, Horse farms, you know, uh, uh, barn structures, those those sorts of things. Um, smaller retail folks, they're typically like, "Hey, I have a log, um, and I want to make some some furniture pieces for my grandchildren." You know, this it's like the witness tree thing. You know, it's like this stood in our yard for X amount of time. So there, we get into more of the live edge slab business. Um, okay. Uh, and we don't currently do any kiln drying. So we're just doing the milling. Um, so there are occasions where I'll run out, pick up a log from somebody's property, bring it back here, custom mill it to their, their specifications, which in some cases it might be, we're just going to slab the whole thing, you know, six yeah. quarters or eight quarter slabs. But there's a hardware store two miles down the road, um, small independent guy. I supply him with, all the rough sawn lumber that he needs for his personal projects. And then he sells some of that out the front door too. So that's a lot of like one by 10, one by 12 softwood. And what kind of softwood species you guys get? Uh, lots of Norway spruce, white pine. Um, not really anything in the fir category. Um, hemlock, I would love to have access to more of that, but that's really in the northern part of the state. And it's for me to get it hauled down here and, and mill it, 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 it would wind up being kind of a break even. So, um, I keep my eye out for it. I do. If I find some deals on lumber, um, you know, I will buy, I will buy some lumber and then hold it, resell it, or, you know, resaw it into a different dimension and then sell it. You know, sometimes that's a way to kind of bridge a gap if I don't have a species or the right size logs. But yeah, I think I think most of what we're doing to answer your question in a very convoluted way is probably like two by fours, two by sixes, two by eights, and then custom cut post and then beams, lots of six by six and eight by eight oak post and beams, which really wind up in the barns. A um, couple home builders and remodelers uh, who I work with who do custom builds. Um, what seems to be in vogue right now is that folks have a tree from the property or a tree from their grandparents' property, 
and they want some eight by eight posts cut out of it, they're going to put it on the front porch in the new house they're building. You know, it's, it's, it's that kind of stuff that you're not really going to, they don't have the means or the, quite frankly, the, the energy to try and figure out how to get that to someone's sawmill. So I just come out with my mill and mill up what they need right there. And then they've got it when the builder's ready for it. Yeah, that's a pretty cool, pretty cool model. Um, I'm going to backtrack us just a second for anyone that hasn't ever built with true dimensional lumber. Um, that stuff is, especially when it's not kiln dried is just so much more. I mean, it's heavy for one. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, for two, it's, there, there's a feel to it. There's a weight to it. That's, it gives it a totally different, uh, I don't even, I don't know the right word, but it gives it an appearance and an ambiance that's completely different than anything you would buy at a lumber yard. I know my wife and I had built a sauna and we ran up to the local guy. We had him do it in, in white pine. And, and we tried to move that from the property where our house is now to a, a new piece of land we bought. And like that thing was so heavy, and <laughs> so difficult to move. It's a 10 by 10 building. Couldn't budget with a skid steer. I mean, it was lifting the skid steer off the ground. We had to have four bottle jacks and drive a trailer. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's not going to blow away. It's not blown away. <laughs> no, I think if there was a tornado, I'd rather be in there than in my basement. Right. Um, but yeah, just for anyone, if anyone out there hasn't, dealt with true dimensional lumber roughs on I, I would encourage you to build something out of it because it's it, it gives a totally different appearance and feel to whether it's a room or a wall or a piece of furniture uh, it's pretty cool so yeah and, and there's a learning curve there too with with some of the customers you know it's it's some folks you know they have background and experience with with milling with lumber and and they know exactly what they're looking for but other folks you kind of have to just you know walk them through the process and you know ask them ask them the right questions up front and and just kind of make sure you can guide the process you know to the end result they're looking for and and you know a lot of on occasion some folks are not realizing like oh this is a this is a two by four okay all right well i don't need one that big you know, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can probably yield a couple more out of this log, you know, because I'm going to scale the log and estimate how many board feet we're going to get. And, and we kind of go from there. But yeah, we we did um, early on in the first couple of months when we had the mill, we probably ran one for practice and two, you know, we were kind of chomping at the bit to get some projects done here on our homestead. So we ran about 5000 board feet of spruce and and ash and winded up um we brought in uh, some two two brothers who are who are really good local builders remodelers and they threw together um a really stout like 10 by 14 chicken coop we did some fences we did raised garden beds um uh, just some different garden structures to keep some of the critters out but um and that was that was really good for us to work with that green rough sawn lumber you know, now it's almost two years later. So we're seeing how that's aging, how it's been able to hold up. And that's, 
that's been helpful for me, you know, when working with customers to be able to say, Hey, this is, this is what I've seen. And because I do not have a building construction background. So I have a little bit of a, um, you know, a little bit of a, a shortfall there that, that I need to, you know, bridge the gap and, and come around. But I've learned a lot from customers who have, who have that background. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. If you don't, if you don't have a background in building and construction, what motivated you to do this? Like, did you just decide one day or how, how did that go? <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's a long story, but I'll, I'll try and keep it within the confines of our, of our, uh, conversation. Um, I would say that not unlike many people, uh, 2020 was a was a pretty transformative year for us. Mm-hmm. Um, to say that it, you know, radicalized us a bit is is probably accurate. But um, we kind of it, it, there's there's a family element to it. So my wife's um, father passed away in January of that year, and um, there was some discussion about what was going to happen with the home. He, he lived, um, in the homestead by himself. Um, it's, it's a home that he built with his father in, uh, the early 1970s. Um, it's a timber frame stone structure, uh, really great, great home that he and his dad built. There's a barn, there's, there's some outbuildings. He did all the work over a, over a 45 year period, if not longer than that, well, we'll call it 50 year period. And, um, so my wife winded up, my wife and I winded up moving back in to the home where we are now. So the homestead we're in is the home that her father and her grandfather built. It's on a little over three acres. Prior to that, we were in a, a subdivision cookie cutter, um, only six or seven miles away, um, which was, you know, it was a great set up for us with young children, you know, it worked. Um, but the thought of having this property go just kind of to the wayside, um, just didn't sit well with us. So logically it didn't make a ton of sense. Financially, it didn't make a ton of sense, but it's one of those gut things that, you know, in on principle, it was like, yes, you know, we, we got to do this. And, um, so, that that happens in march of 2020 and the the home being built in the early 70s uh, it has natural red cedar siding it's never been painted or treated so it's got that rich patina look like you know an appalachian cabin um but the carpenter bees have made their way with it and the woodpeckers have made their way with the carpenter bees so it kind of looks like you know, pockets of honeycomb <laughs> in certain sections of it. So we had a guy come out, uh, a local old timer uh, who's been doing siding and downspouts and stuff for decades. We had him look at the barn and we wanted some things patched up. And And my wife said, you know, just kind of in passing, like, hey, while you're here, why don't you take a look at the house and tell us what it would tell us what you think it would be to put new siding on it, you know, and he kind of chuckled and he said, okay. So he takes a walk around 15 or 20 minutes and comes back and he said, eh, you're going to be upwards of about $30,000. We were like, oh, okay. Can't, 
you just put like siding over top of it or he's like no 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 you got to pull all this wood off you can't you know we'd have to reframe every window and every door and we were like oh wow so i get on the computer and start looking at like how do you like do how would we have you know if we wanted to do wood siding ourselves what would that well i mean i you get on youtube the first <laughs> <laughs> there are dangerous rabbit holes everywhere, but YouTube is probably famous for the, the biggest ones. And there I go like, Oh, look at this. This guy's got a sawmill. He's like doing this thing with, with, uh, he's got a jig on there and he's got a can and he's, you know, he's milling his own siding. I was like, wow. I mean, there's a ton of, there's a ton of wood around here. There's a lot of trees or we could, maybe we could buy, you know, logs. And, and so I should, I should kind of, backtrack a little bit and say that i'm not a total stranger to sawmills my grandfather my dad's father uh built owned and operated his own sawmill from 1954 to 1994. so at the age of 11 in 1987 i'm dropped off there with my dad and you know i begin working with my grandfather on the sawmill but my role was basically limited to splitting and stacking firewood and running the slab saw. So, okay. yeah. you know, there, there wasn't an education for Wade on milling lumber. Um, but it was a, it was a, you know, three phase electric circular sawmill. Um, he and grandma raised 10 kids. She did, you know, she was a mother. She didn't work out of the house and they did it all on the sawmill and, um, so I, I had been around it early on. It wasn't foreign to me. And so I had to begin the, the, the tall task of convincing my wife that this was probably a really good idea to get, <laughs> um, and, and honestly, it, it didn't take quite as much selling as I thought because she had some plans for the homestead for, you know, some animal structures and some of the garden expansion stuff that she wanted to do. And so she got to thinking like, wow, I could kind of have unlimited source of lumber coming, you know, from the mill. Um, so that's where, it, that's where it started. Um, and then I needed to put together something in terms of a business plan, like, okay, well, this thing has to not only pay for itself, but, you know, maybe I can have an income source here, right? on the homestead and be able to accomplish the projects here, you know, that we, we want to do. So that's, that's how it came to be. <laughs> so my, we sold our home, um, and, and, you know, we were in a fortunate position. We had a, a 15 year mortgage on that property. So when we sold it, we had, uh, 11 mortgage payments left. Um, and so I took a portion of that, um, $60,000. I bought a used skid steer, a 1996 New Holland, you know, three cylinder, 60 horsepower tank. Um, probably one of the last models that was actually made in Lancaster County. Yeah. I was going to um, say, those are a Pennsylvania machine, aren't they? They are. <laughs> they, yeah. well, they're Italian owned now, I think. Um, but yes, they were like blue ball PA or, or somewhere in New Holland there. And, um, you know, got a decent deal on it. It wasn't, it, it wasn't, uh, beaten too badly. Got a used pickup truck, um, bought a trailer and bought the sawmill. And so I thought, you know what, if we can generate, so this was my initial, my initial model was that if we can generate 
35 to $40,000 a year of revenue for 10 years, that $60,000 investment to me was, was worth it. You know, there's right. a lot of, a lot of sweat equity involved there. Absolutely. But I did not have, I did not have grand visions of being a high volume sawmill or, you know, you know, making a hundred thousand dollars a year. I mean, if that happens, then things are really going great, but I have to be realistic in terms of the space we have. Um, there are no employees outside of my wife, you know, and I, and, and the boys help, but they've got things going on in their lives with, with college and, and their jobs. So it's, it's something that thus far it has, it has met expectations with very little in the way of marketing, or like I said, we don't, we don't have a website. Um, I think in year one, my first 40 customers were all within four miles of our house. That is so cool. (laughs) You know, and, and, and having it sit in, in the front meadow with all the logs around it is probably as good a billboard as we can have. Now we are on a, on a rural, you know, what I would consider a country road, but it, it kind of doubles as a bypass for the local town of Abbottstown. So if you're in, if you're south of Abbottstown in the Hanover area and you're trying to get to East Berlin, you're probably going to take Milestown Road to go around all the traffic on the Lincoln Highway. So we get about 600 cars a day go past here. A lot of them are tradesmen. Um, so the mill sitting out there, you know, sooner than later, people are stopping. They're pulling off the side of the road saying, hey, what do you got going on here? I've, I've seen these on YouTube, but I've never seen one in person. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that's the story on how it started. And, uh, like I said, we just, we just wrapped up, I guess you could say officially our second year. Well, uh, I can't tell you how happy that story makes me. So congratulations. Uh, that's the American dream right there. (laughs) Um, yeah, congratulations. I guess one, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you and, that's just so awesome by the way i just can't get over it um so one thing i wanted to ask you is this seems to be something that's becoming more popular right like you alluded to it that oh i've seen these on youtube a handful of guys around here i shouldn't even say handful like a lot of guys around here including some of my co-workers have got into milling wood misers or whatever other brands there might be if someone wanted to do what you're doing, like, how do you go from what? And I I know this isn't like an easy question, but how do you go from like owning a wood miser to making a business out of it? Like what's your, what do you feel has helped you guys get steady, reliable business? Yeah. I, I would say, That's a great question. That's a great question. Okay, listen, the, the short the short is like there's probably thousands or tens of thousands of people that want to do this, right? There's a right. reason there's thousands of Woodmiser YouTube videos out there. And you you've obviously done it well. So is there any unique angles or or you hate to say the word like hacks, right? But like hacks that someone starting this should pursue. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, I could I could get a little philosophical on this, but I'll I'll try and stay with the nuts and bolts too. Um, to start, I would say that you know if you're thinking about doing this, or you've been entertaining it, or you've seen some other people do it, um, and and you're you're kind of you know sharpening your pencil, so to speak. I I would say that you know embrace failure and understand that that is a very very important part of the journey. <laughs> uh, once once you can accept that as as a uh, as a steadfast part of, of the business model, then you're, you're good. You're good because otherwise um, you're, you're going to run into lots and lots of challenges that, that may, you know, may dissuade you early on. So you've got to embrace that. And two, be willing to bet on yourself. Um, you know, the analogy that I try and share with some people is that you know, if you're working for somebody else and it may be a great employer, maybe a great job, and you're taking a portion of your, your pre-tax earnings and they may be pitching in, you know, three or 4% and it's all going into your 401k and, and, and some money manager somewhere is making sure that money is being invested in some fund that is being invested in, you know, the big companies we all know, you know, Tesla, Apple, Microsoft, whatever it may be. And what they're, what they're investing in is they're betting that the future earnings of those companies and corporations will be 25 or 30 times what they are today. Well, uh, if you have $10,000 or you have $20,000 or you, you can go to the bank and, you know, get a reasonable loan, um, have the confidence to bet on yourself that 10 years from now, you'll be able to be making five times, 10 times what you are today. So that, that is just from a mindset standpoint, that's kind of, that's what got me over the hump. Um, from a nuts and bolts standpoint, um, get with local, do, do a little bit of a, you know, an area study, if you will, on, on your geographical location, demographics. Um, the first thing I did, and to, to your point about how popular and in, in how uh, prevalent these machines have become. And it's not just Woodmiser. I mean, there are, there are probably half a dozen reputable manufacturers of various stages of these machines. Um, I ordered mine in, think about this, October of 2020. And I received it in February of 21. So roughly a five-month waiting period. And I thought that was a long time. I was like, man, this is outrageous. In that five-month waiting period, I called 15 different tree service companies and said, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. You know, I'm starting a sawmill business. Well, one, you know, if you get three or four to bite on it, these guys and gals are looking to get rid of logs, <laughs> you know, wood, that they basically have to buck up throw in the back of a truck and take to a local dump or they, you know, they take it to somebody in the neighborhood who does firewood or whatever. They have to haul it around. They don't want to haul it around. They want to get rid of it. Um, and they're charging the customer for it. So I was able to get with three or four local guys um, who had their own operations and I would basically become a log chaser. I'd call them. They would call me and say, Hey, Wade, we're over here in uh, South Hanover. I've got four really nice black oak logs. They're huge. What length do you want them cut? And when can you be here to pick them up? 
in some cases, they already have their excavator there or their skid steer loader. So I show up with my deck over trailer and my pickup. These guys load them up. I strap them down and I leave. Now, they're yard trees a lot of times. So you're going to have to deal with metal, <laughs> which I learned that the hard way. Um, and you have to factor that in as one of the costs. But that's that's a good way to get started because you're you're now in a network locally of people that are constantly working with trees. They have a customer base. Now their customer base learns like, well, wait, there's another option for this tree we're taking down. You mean this guy can actually mill it? Well, wait a second. Maybe I do want that log because my daughter's been talking about this eight foot dining room table she wants live edge or my son-in-law is doing a bar top in the basement or, you know, and the list goes on. So that really opened up a world to me that Initially, I was just looking for logs. You know, I needed logs and I didn't want to buy them because I was going to probably ruin some of the wood learning how to use the mill. Um, so that was that was a good start in terms of networking. And then uh, I don't know if you guys are you familiar with Craigslist? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's something that probably predated Facebook Marketplace, which I don't I've never had a Facebook account. Um, I may eventually break down and do one for the business, but Craigslist, um, I put an ad on there. I've had an ad running on there for two years and I get calls from an hour, two hours away. Um, and I get some local calls too, but it's people looking for, and, and if you're crafty on how you word your ad, you're going to show up. If people are searching lumber, you're going to show up. If pe people are searching sawmills, you're going to show up, um, if they're searching for firewood. So I kind of, refine that uh, over time and and i would say those two things out of the gate were kind of how i got my start aside from having the mill sit in the front yard where everyone saw it and was like oh what's going on here so we put a sign in the front yard you know to advertise the business but yeah very good i think that's uh those are all excellent pointers um as we wrap up here Let's, I'm going to have a little bit more fun. Sure. With these, these next few questions. So for anyone that's in the game, kind of understand sawmilling a little bit more, what what mill do you have? Uh, I have a Woodmiser LT40. Um, it has the, it has a few upgrades on it that, that were not, you know, the factory base. So I added uh, the debarker which is a carbide blade about six or eight inches in diameter. And that runs on a separate motor and it goes in advance of the actual saw blade. And it basically rips off bark, you know, any other foreign matter. And it, it basically saves your, saves your blade. It gives you a little more, a little more milling time on that blade. It doesn't dull as quickly. Um, I also upgraded to the wide head. Um, I think the standard, uh, if I recall, I think the standard saw head could clear like 28 inches or 26 inches. And so the wide head is a 36 inch, but um, with the blade guides and stuff, it's, I think I can clear through 34. So it's almost a three foot pass. Um, and then I went with a 38 horsepower gas engine just because I felt like doing larger hardwoods. I didn't want the, the 26 horsepower kind of getting bogged down. 
Um, I had considered the Yanmar diesel option, but it was a considerable additional investment. And I thought at this point, um, I think I'm going to go with this and, and maybe down the road, if I go to a bigger mill, um, then I think I would go with the, with the, the diesel and the super hydraulic, um, two hydraulic pumps versus one. <laughs> That's awesome. And you got the auto lifter on there, I assume. I don't know the technical. Uh, yes. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's what Woodmiser markets as, you know, fully hydraulic, fully commercial. Um, you know, they'll say you can process, you know, 500 board feet an hour, which is, I mean, if all the stars are aligned and, and things are really humming and there's lots of hands on deck, you, you can definitely hit that, but it's, it's challenging to do that on a regular basis, at least for me, but yeah. And, and I think that is, I think the LT35 is their entry-level hydraulic commercial mill. So the 40 is like the next step up. And then there's a 50 and a 70, and it, it goes on from there with, with some really nice big slab mills. But I had I started by looking at uh, a five or $6,000 uh, Woodland Mills uh, stationary mill out of Canada. And... You know, the more I thought about it, I was like, well, I kind of like to be mobile. And boy, I'd like to do this when I'm in my 60s. If I can, I sure don't want to be wrestling logs, you know, with <laughs> up onto the mill and having to turn them manually. And, you know, um, so, yeah, I, I bit the bullet and, and felt like, you know, let's let's see if we can churn out a, a higher volume. Yeah. Nice. What's the biggest log you've ever thrown on there? my first job, <laughs> my first paying customer, my, I should say my first paying customer was Memorial day weekend, 2021. So I had the mill at that point for three months. I had, you know, milled a handful of logs here, had done some stuff for us. Um, and uh, a guy stopped in who lives 1.1 mile up the road. He's a, uh, used to own his own, construction company custom builder and he's like hey i've got these these chestnut oak logs and uh, they're pretty big but i just want i want some big beams like eight by 12 by 16 foot long i was like oh wow okay so i told him i said i'm brand new to this i've 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 i'm only milled a couple logs here i said chances are pretty good i'm gonna screw up at some point and i'm pretty slow <laughs> So he kind of like looked at me and chuckled and I said, I'd love to do the work for you, but you know, I want you to know I'm, I'm not a master Sawyer here. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I think he was a little taken back, but then I think he was, he was kind of like, all right, yeah, well, I, we'll, we'll get through it. Um, and it was painful. It was, it was three days in a row. Cause I was slow. I broke the machine in several ways. <laughs> uh, I screwed up some of the lumber for sure, not being square. Um, I think I charged him 24 cents a board foot at that point. That's what that's, I mean, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> and, and you can, you can learn a lot from YouTube, but boy, you get out there. So these logs were, were 18 foot long. They were 32 inches in diameter at the small end. The butt end was, was right around 38 and, I, the hydraulics on the machine couldn't turn it. I blew a, I, I blew a fitting. I busted a fitting 
and was leaking hydraulic fluid everywhere. He had a telehand, like a petty bone yeah. telehandler. So we were able to turn the logs, but it was, it was, it was painful. Um, but those were the largest logs I ever had on there. And I haven't done it since because the hydraulics kind of max out around 4,000 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. By the uh, way, I, I, I don't know if they're the same posts. I don't think they were, but you had posted some images, uh, I don't know, a week or two ago of some chestnut posts. Just beautiful, beautiful oh, yeah. wood. Uh, that's actually what made me think, ah, I got to have weight on. Nice. They, yeah. were, they were so pretty, so pretty. Uh, what did those go into? Uh, a cattle farmer is, is using those for fence posts. He wanted okay. six by six by eight. He's going to uh, have the most expensive but most beautiful fence in the county, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, and chestnut oak is really prevalent around here. The locals will call it rock oak. Okay. Um, it's in the white oak group. Yeah. Um, now, it doesn't, it doesn't bode well for like furniture, flooring, or cabinetry because it does check pretty hard, and it generally checks the length of the log. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's it's not great in that way, but it's I mean it's it's white oak, you know. Yeah. It's disease resistant. It holds up outside real well, it, but it has a, a beautiful grain. It smells so good when you mill it. I mean, it's it's probably one of my favorites. But eight or ten years ago here, the uh, they had a really bad uh, bout of gypsy moth come through, and uh, it killed off a lot a lot of chestnut oak and most of those are what what is remaining is standing dead i mean it's it's it, there's a lot here but it's a beautiful wood yeah the grain is is good stuff oh if i mean is that your if you had choice to mill uh a certain board and a and a certain type of lumber what what's your favorite oh uh, i'd have to say hmm I'd have to say black walnut. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's, it's a bear to mill as a Sawyer just because the sawdust, I mean, if you're milling it all day, you, you probably want to, you know, find out, you know, find some comfortable way to not inhale the sawdust because <laughs> yeah. it is, you know, it, it's a toxin tree all the way around, but um, it, it, it produces some of the most beautiful grain and color. And, and I, I kind of, you know, obviously have a, I can't really be objective, but I feel like Pennsylvania black walnut is a, is a standout. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll BS offline, but I grew up in Illinois and I think the first time I took my wife to Illinois, we went to a local sawmill. That's a date. Eh? Anyways, I took her to the local. A great sawmill. Date. She knew what she was in for right yeah, away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we went and got some black walnut at live edge and we turned it, we made a bench and, and we made a little accessory countertop that's still in our bathroom. And it's nice. I don't know. It's, it's hard to beat. It's hard to be. It's that's probably five, six, seven years ago now. And it's, I don't know, still like it just as much as the day I put it in. Right. So yeah, it's yeah. hard to beat walnut. Um, any uh, quirky or like abnormal ones that you, you like that, that turned out well or that surprised yeah. you? 
yes. Um, and this was this was one of those early on log chasing runs. Um, there was a local one man show tree guy, and uh, I had gotten some stuff from him on several occasions prior. And he called and he said, "Hey, wait, I've got these. I'm taking down six of these swamp ash, but um, they're down in Wrightsville on the bank of the Susquehanna River. Which for us, that's a that's a pretty good run. And then that means I've got to be on the Lincoln Highway Route 30 with a truck and trailer hauling logs, um, which is an invitation for trouble. So, <laughs> but." I mean, fortunate at that time, I was still a little naive about how that how that part of the world works. So I was like, absolutely, we'll be down. So my oldest son and I went down and we and we picked them up and we, we were rolling these things onto the trailer. It's a deck over trailer, equipment trailer. It's got a dovetail on the back. So the equipment ramps come down, but they're powder coated. So you're trying to roll these logs up this powder coated rails, which is basically the equivalent of like a hockey puck on ice. And so we had to cut these things down to like six foot lengths to get them on the trailer. So we get them all back and I attempted to mill one up, I guess with a blade that was too dull at the time because the blade came off the flywheels, made a whole mess in the machine. It took me a half a day to figure out how to get that all undone and put back together. It was the hardest wood I've ever milled, but some of the most beautiful wood grain that um i've i've ever seen so it's called black ash but also swamp ash yeah and as it turns out these trees were probably six or eight inches in diameter in the in the 70s when hurricane agnes came through and there was uh, really um devastating flooding on the susquehanna river um so about six or eight inches from the pith of the log there's just an enormous like inch and a half ring and it's all kind of like charcoal smoky. Oh, wow. And the homeowners told us that basically the water was, was 30 feet up these trees when, when it flooded, when Agnes came through. So that was, that was a, a pretty unique, cool, I guess you could call it quirky, <laughs> um, log story which i get into you know I, i'm kind of a nerd with that i like to you know hear the story of the if the property owner has the story i love to hear it because it you know i think about that when i'm milling it and it i i think it you know you just you're you're a little more tuned in um to the to the process but that that was a a real unique find and a and a hardship to mill <laughs> well worth it well worth it you're going to have uh, everyone out. Hopefully, maybe this will inspire some people to get out and, and walk their yard or their woods and, and go see what they have out there. That, yeah. that, that would be cool if one person did that even. That, that would be cool. Um, and if we, can, if we can influence one person to not put a nail or a screw <laughs> into a tree, that would be a win as well for some Sawyer 75 years from now. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think every person that has a sawmill uh, learns that there are way more nails and screws and 
everything else tucked into wood than they ever imagined before. Yeah. I've, I have seen some bizarre, bizarre things inside of trees and thankfully <laughs> I wasn't always the one to hit them, but yeah, uh, yeah. you know, from so, so, insulators to rebar to concrete to uh, yeah, you, you name it. <laughs> that's crazy. But well, we're a little over an hour here. This has gone better than I could have ever imagined. I'm learning a lot. Um, I think you have just a textbook, like American hustle story. To me, that is like just anyone taking a risk and starting their own thing. That's, that's impressive to me. And, and, and this is, this one's cool on top of it, right? We get to tell a cool story. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I hope other people think wood is as cool as I do, but, um, no, this is this has been a great conversation, and I can't thank you enough for your time. I know you're probably busy, so I think we'll we'll leave it at that. But um, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Your business, uh, your personal account, whatever you want to throw in here. Yeah, uh, social media. I, I I really only kind of manage two. Um, one is is for the business, which is uh, Instagram. So it's at Milestown Woodworks, uh, M-O-U-L-S-T-O-W-N. And um, on Twitter, uh, it's at Wading Smith, W-A-D-I-N-G Smith. I have a Substack. Um, I write about four times a year, so it's absolutely free. <laughs> uh, it's there if I need it. You know, yeah, if, I, yeah, if I just if I just want to sit down some night and throw something out there. So I think I've I think I've published maybe three things, um, but that's there. If you're having trouble sleeping, you can pull up one of those and it'll put you out. But uh, yeah, I agree. I, I enjoyed this uh, immensely and, and I really appreciate you reaching out and, and giving me the opportunity to chat with you and, and love what you're doing, too. I mean, I, I think the. The Heartland Revival is uh, is very cool. I didn't get all the way through season one, but I did uh, get through uh, three episodes, which was which was uh, very entertaining. So, well, thank you for that. Um, I will link for anyone listening. I will link your your two accounts there. Um, I'm gonna go check out your Instagram page. I actually have not done that. I just look at the cool stuff you post on Twitter. So now I'm going to go. Uh, there, there's some, cro- there's some crossover. There's some duplicity there, but uh, yeah, the, the real wood grain porn is on Instagram. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, good stuff, Wade. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. Have a great evening.